What's up, electric people? Welcome back. It's Ty Williams, and we have Jeff Griffin on the show today. If you haven't heard of Jeff, this will probably send you down a rabbit hole of watching his videos and and consuming his content. I love people that can make things happen. I love people that are alchemists, that can make the most out of a situation, that can unlock opportunities through the way that they think, and that's Griff. So um, he... I'll let him tell most of his story, but he is an athlete, he's a business owner, he's a mentor, he's a father, and the story that that he tells kind of starts of him uh, in the peak of his his physical health and sports career, early 20s, with ambitions to play professional sports, suffers a construction fall, and it leaves him partially paralyzed, paralyzed from the waist down. Um, And he went through all of it everything that's associated with an accident like that, uh, you know, living the life that he was living, ultimately figured out how to tap into his mind and use his mental tools to create just an amazing and impressive life and reality that he lives in. So under the, the, the list of accomplishments, USA men's Paralympic basketball team, he's a silver medalist, played in the Olympics, Utah wheeling jazz player, that's the Utah jazz wheelchair basketball team, the national champion. Uh, he's a singles tennis champion in the state of Utah. He won the St. George Marathon in his wheelchair and holds a Guinness Book of World Records for free throws from a chair. So it, it's just amazing. You know, he had these ambitions of being an athlete and played. It's different, but he played on a national and inspiring stage. Uh, the book that he wrote is called I'm Possible. It's his take on viewing limitations and looking at your surroundings and taking the tools that you have and and making an excellent life for yourself. So he's got a nonprofit called The Road to Recover, which helps injured vets and physically disabled people. And his ultimate goal is to walk again, which doctors told him he'd never be able to do and can do to some degree now. So I'll let him tell the story. I'll let him get to it. This is Jeff Griffin. Enjoy. The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. Well, hey man, thanks for joining us. You said you're in Salt Lake area? North Salt Lake, Ogden area? Yeah, absolutely. Right at the base of Mount uh, Ben Lomond. If you've ever seen uh, the Paramount pictures, the owner of Paramount uh, was from Ogden. And so they have the mountain there. They've kind of like, you know, changed it to K-12 or Everest now. But uh, that was the inspiration of that. uh, That logo is Mount Ben Lomond. How did I never know that? The Paramount logo? Movie? Yeah, the Paramount, the Paramount uh, logo. It's the it's the old blue one that kind of looks like uh, the old Prudential and, and whatnot. But uh, and, and so so yeah, so he's from Ogden, and um, that's where I live. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm excited for you to tell your story as I've as I've delved into it. I love people that are that are you know like alchemists that can take situations and they can turn them into really positive things for their lives. And I know that that's really a really like a muted version of it. And I know there's a lot to it, but the thing I found interesting uh, in your story is, you know, I've, the accident is something I'm sure you talk about a lot is kind of like a pivotal part of your life, but it seems that even before the accident on your path to becoming an athlete, you endured adversity. You're kind of no stranger to adversity. So maybe, maybe talk about the role adversity has played in your life, even, even pre-accident. 
Yeah, absolutely, Ty. I appreciate it. Um, and what's interesting here is, you know, you know, my, my wife and I have been married for 26 years. When I got hurt, the experts told me I never walk, never stand, never move my legs again. Some of the experts told me I never have kids, you know, because that's the first function to go, last to come back. Mm. Some of the experts told me I never get married, not because of my wheelchair, but just because of who I am. But, uh, you know, I share that with you because, you know, my wife and I have been married 26 years. We have four beautiful biological kids. And, uh, and now I can walk across the stage or, as I like to say, walk with swagger. And there's some times, there's some moments that uh, my wife and I are having conversations and my wife's like, bring it down, bring it down. And I, and I made the mistake by saying, hey, bring it up, bring it up. And that did not go well. Let me tell you right now, Ty, that did not go well. That's why I shared what I shared because we're still married. It's 26 years. We have four kids. But there are times where, I, where she's like, holy cow, Griff, bring it down. And I share that because I wasn't always this positive. I wasn't always this optimistic. I wasn't always this confident. And so in my book, I'm Possible, Desire, Dream, Do, I kind of share you know, this journey of chasing down my dreams, catching it, and then having it taken away from me, and then having to dream new dreams and, um, and then rebuild another dream. And so this idea of always being optimistic and op, you know and uh, positive you know it wasn't always the case all the time i was a very shy backwards kid that loved football and what's interesting is because i was so good at football people and i was the star of the team that people you know just assumed that star football players you know popular confidence with social people but in high school, I would walk down the halls and when somebody was walking towards me, I'd turn my head and look down. And, and I always joke that, um, you know, if I ever showed up to my reunion, in my high school reunion, people would like, what's your name? I'm like, I'm Jeff. you like, who? I'm like, like, oh, yes, that's who. Absolutely. And, and so, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because, you know, my mother was born in between the Great Depression and World War II up in a farm in northern Utah. And she learned her life lessons knee deep in poop, cow poop. Mm-hmm. You know, she shoveled the poop to put it in the, uh, the, the, the trailer so that they can go spread it on the field so that they can produce a, a larger yield. And I remember that when I was about her age, walking into her office, I was about 10 years old. And on her computer was this sticky note that had a message that really impacted my life early on that really helped me, you know, later on that really helped me become the man that I am and the man that I want to, to continue to be. And on that sticky note, it read trials are like manure. They sure do stink, but they certainly help things grow. And I'm like, absolutely. I like that. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, trials are like manure. They sure do stink, but they certainly help things to grow. But in my 10, in my 10 year old mind, I wanted to, you know, I've always wanted to simplify things. I always want to simplify things. In fact, I always talk about, you know, finding the simplicity on the far side of complexity. And this was one of those moments where I'm like, you know what? I just want to have this make sense in my 10 year old mind. And so, you know, I remember that message as take your crap and turn it into a crop. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that that messages like that impact you so much at that age, like just at the age when like your brain is developing, like the intentionality. I always say like who you are matters because the person that your mother 
is, was at that point really mattered. I mean, I bet she didn't write that sticky note so that 10 year old Griff would see it when he walked in. Right. But it's one of those things that the fact that you're talking about it now, what, 30 years later, 35 years later, something like yeah, that. We'll say 30. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's a good number. <laughs> it's pretty, it, it, it's a good message to like, just be intentional with the way you're living because it's impacting people, right? Like you could have said, oh, my mom was always grumpy. And it was those three years that were just hard when like I had all these crazy kids and trying to run a farm and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that she was somewhat intentional and that's what stuck. Uh, you know, I got six kids myself and it makes me think like they're all in that age range where they're being p- impacted by the things that I do, you know? 100%, 100%. If I were to write a, bi- a biography, it, the name of the book would be My Mother's Son. My mother, my mother impacted my life. My father is my hero. Um, and, you know, I, I, I contribute, you know, everything to, to, to them. And um, I just, I, I love my upbringing. I was, I was the fifth out of eight and uh, stuck in the middle, wow. lost, lost in the massive. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I love my upbringing. What was that? I said you were in the shuffle, like smack dab in the middle of the shuffle. Oh my goodness, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I got lost and forgotten at the store, but uh, you know, forgotten <laughs> but not lost. Yeah. Well, tell the story of, of the accident and how that, that started you on a path. How old were you? What happened? And interested in like the early days right after. I'm imagining it's probably not something that happens and you're sitting in a hospital thinking some good's going to come of this. Yeah, absolutely. In in fact, you know, I was 21 years old when um, my life was changed. You know, as I mentioned before, I I speak all over the world. Some people have compared me to Tony Robbins, but at the fraction of the price. (laughs) <laughs> others, you know, have said that I'm motivating like David Goggins without the mouth. Uh, you know, <laughs> others have compared me as, you know, inspiring and motivating as John Maxwell. But, you know, they are them and I am me and you are you and your listeners um, are your listeners. And the world needs you. The world needs you. And um, and so I'm in a chair. You can't see that. And I come and address the, the elephant on stage, which is, you know. How good looking I am, and uh, <laughs> completely right out joking about that. <laughs> let's just let's just get that out of the way, right? Let's let's, let's just address the elephant. You know, listen, eyes up here, eyes up here. But uh, but no, I'm in a wheelchair, and um, you know, I'm physically paralyzed, and I went from six one to four seven overnight, and, and I see things different literally and figuratively. And, and I've learned that different isn't always better, but better is always different. And if we want to make things better, we're going to have to think different. And, and again, looking back, it's easy to, you know, you know, see where you've come from. Um, and the key is, is how can we prepare for these challenges that are, that are going to be presented um, with us? And so, but being in a wheelchair and going from six one to four seven, Ty, I've learned to see things different, and I've learned that I may be physically paralyzed, but I've learned that most of us, if not all of us, are paralyzed from the demons of doubt, fear, and complacency, which keeps us from climbing our mountains, which keeps us from conducting and orchestrating the song that sings our soul, that keeps us from obtaining the success we desire. 
And, and so, you know, that, that right there is it's, you know, here I am lying on my back next to an unpainted barn. I fell 40 feet from some scaffolding. My life was changed immediately. You know, you know, I broke my back in between um, seasons as a collegiate football player. And, and I didn't know that, you know, my, my dream and desire was to play on the big stage. You know, I grew up in Cache Valley. I wanted to play at BYU where that, you know, in Cache Valley, they breed them to hate them down there. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play at BYU. I was a receiver and um, I wanted to play on the big stage. And here I am now in between seasons next to an unpainted barn. And not quite sure if I had broken my back or not, but uh, the pain was excruciating. Um, and I'm like, okay, now what? And I remember voicing my fears for the first time out loud to my buddy and saying, hey, Doug, I think I'm paralyzed. Go call the ambulance. And so he leaves me there. I had just fallen 40 feet in my dreams of playing football in college. Done, shattered over my dreams of, uh, you know, riding a, a motorcycle with a lady on back over. And, and so, you know, the question, the question that I had to ask is, now what? You know, what do you do? What do you do when you're faced with a major challenge or a difficult setback? What do you do when what you want isn't what you get? What do you do when, when the foundation that you've set up has crumbled out from underneath you and now you find yourself on your back, broken, bruised, and battered? Man. And that's where I, that, and that's where I found myself there. Well, and at 21 too, right? You, you don't have the years of, of working on yourself and working on the perspective. So what are those, what are those early like initial moments post-fall what's the darkness like? What thoughts are you having? Are you, you know, how long did it take you to kind of find your way to start like accepting reality and thinking through this? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, all your listeners are going to be, you know, dealt a, a difficult challenge in their life if they haven't done so already. You know, uh, you know, you were, you were like the master knocker tie, tie. You're the one who's like able to open doors, get through doors and, and make sales and, and all that stuff. And, and, um, you know, door to door sales is, is, is tough. It's difficult, you know, rejection after rejection after rejection. And, and it's not just sales and it's just not knocking doors. There's other things that, uh, that we're doing as well. And, um, you know, for me, my whole identity was wrapped up in my physicality. It was all wrapped up in how fast I could run, how high I could jump and how, um, you know, how great I could catch the, the ball. You know, I was competing against the other guy. And and so, you know, it's that identity. And what's interesting is we as individuals, we we create these labels, we create these um, these identities that that we want to be, that we think we need to be, that other people have you know, have thrown on us. And, and for me, the identity and label that I, that I had as a, at, as an early age was I want to be a, a football player. I want to be on the big stage. I want to play on the big stage. That's the song that sang to my soul. And, and, and so here's my label. It's taken away from me. Um, or, you know, my identity is taken away from me. And I entered into that sauna of self-pity, you know, and I was wallowing around in that syrupy Sticky son of self pity, and and I was just having a you know a pity party and feeling sorry for myself because I didn't know what else to do because I spent my whole life up until this point trying to achieve it, and um, 
you know, and I've been told so many times, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and so, um, so here I am in the sauna of self-pity, trying to figure out life, trying to deal with life. And, and, you know, I was going into a tailspin and, and it was, I was in a horrible place. And, um, there was a question that was asked by a prisoner that set me free from my prison while I was in the hospital. They stopped feeding me in the hospital in bed. If I wanted to eat, I had to get out of bed and, uh, and, and go to the cafeteria. And when you're in pain, when you're experiencing challenges, when you're experiencing these, these setbacks, you know, we want to, as creatures, we want to be left alone. We want to be further as far away from, from people as we possibly can. And that's the worst thing that we can do at that time. Mm. But, you know, things that used to take me just seconds were taking me minutes, if not hours. It took me 30 minutes just to, to put my, you know, my pants on in the morning and, and put my body brace on. And it took me half an hour to, to get out of my bed into the wheelchair with the aid of two nurses and everything I was able to do myself, I couldn't do. I had to have help. And so here I am just, you know, just freaking out. Like this world has been turned upside down on me. I'm rolling down the sterile halls of the hospital towards the cafeteria Tears start to appear and then run down my cheeks. And I get my food and I want to go to the corner of the cafeteria to be left alone. I put my tray down and I'm flavoring my food with my, my tears. And all of a sudden this tray plops in front of me and I look up and there's the prisoner that changed my life. And I was about to tell this prisoner to go take a hike, use some words I'm not gonna use on this, uh, this podcast here. But uh, he looked at me, I looked at him and he asked the question that changed my life forever. That, that, set me free from my prison. And, what, and the irony here, Ty, is that, you know, most of us look at prisoners as like the least um, person that will, that will give us some uh, um, value or whatnot. You know, they're, they're the, the citizens of, of society that we've like shoved into the shadows and like, yeah. now they don't have any value. But this this man asked a question that changed my life forever. And he was, uh, you know, in his slurred speech, he had an aneurysm in the hospital, he in the prison, and he was doing his therapy at the hospital. And the question that he asked me was, why are you crying, dude? And I'm like, what? He's like, why are you crying, dude? And in his slurred speech, I identified the question that, that uh, changed my life forever. And the question he asked me was, why are you crying, dude? And that question, Ty snapped me out of my pity party, helped me exit that sauna of self-pity. It helped me reframe things, kind of like when I was at 10, 10 years old. It reminded me of my 10-year-old self again. Take my crap and turn it into a crop. Take my message and turn it into a, take my mess and turn it into a message. And I, and I, for the first time in two weeks, I looked down the, the table in the cafeteria and there was a, a man who was paralyzed from the neck down. He had a halo screwed to his skull. He couldn't even move or feed himself. He had to have somebody feed him every single bite that he took. The guy next to him was paralyzed from the waist down, but he had some movement in his arms. They taped a fork to his fingers and thumb, and he's struggling just to get a, a mouthful of food to his face. And by the time he got the fork to his face, the morsels had fallen off and, he, and he's just struggling to eat. And here I have arms that I can eat, feed myself. I have arms that I can hug people. I've got the, the feeling from the waist up. I can feel, I can, you know, experience some sensations. And, and, and from that moment forward, I learn how to flip the switch and reframe things and look at things different. 
And, and I was able to make a decision and say, you know what, I'm going to focus on what I can do instead of what I can't do. Hmm. And, and I believe every single one of us on this planet has that ability to flip the switch and focus on what they can do instead of what they can't do. They can focus on what they want instead of what they don't want. They can focus on what they'd like to be and instead of who they are. And maybe who they are is who they want to be. But we have that ability. You and I have that ability to change the story we're living. What did it do? Could you feel like a like a palpable change in energy when you started thinking that way? Like when you started thinking like even noticing, hey, I have arms and my arms work. Like, did you did you feel like a marked difference in your thinking? Did it make you feel different when you started like paying attention to those thoughts versus the thoughts that say, man, my life is over? Oh, absolutely. Immediately, there's a shift in energy. There's a shift in light. I think I think it's like Nikola Tesla that says, if you want to know the things of, of life, you've got to, you know, you've got to, you know, think of in terms of frequency, energy and vibration. And so what's interesting, you know, you know, looking back, I'm like, OK, what, what did I learn here? What happened here? And that's a great question, because, boom, the, the shift in energy happened instantly and some people are like well yeah yeah well maybe i don't feel like it and and what's interesting is is you know we can trick our brain and trick our mind into feeling a certain way um and 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 so again flipping the switch we can just flip that switch and decide you know i'm going to be optimistic now i'm going to be grateful i'm going to be positive i'm going to you know change my outcomes i'm going to you know whatever that is and 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 that message is is a mile long of of what those things can be and so you're absolutely right there is a shift in energy there is a shift in in um, frequency and vibration um but the problem is is sometimes that energy breaks yeah um i had and, uh, as you were speaking sorry as you were speaking it reminded me of a story that um i think i've shared it before but it's uh i was talking to this sales leader this was years and years ago and we were getting ready to go out for a sales season this is when we did seasonal sales and he was stressed out like just oh it's not gonna work and all these problems and you know we should be here and we're here and he was just like like his energy was like i and I'm kind of like allergic to negative energy. Like it really like I, I'm what I'm the type of person that's like, I kind of don't want to hear it. Like I just need to be away from it a little bit. And um, he was going through like all of these terrible things that were going to happen. And I just paused him for a second. I was like, OK, hey, like let's jump to the worst case scenario. This is before I was even like a sales leader. I was like in the program. Right. And my sales leader was kind of like mm-hmm. having his moment, you know. And I was like, okay, well, let's go to the worst case scenario. Like say all of the worst things that could possibly happen, happen. Like what does your yearly earnings look like? Say the worst thing happens. And he gave me a number and he could probably see it on my face. Cause I was like, I mean, you're telling me your biggest, your, your greatest fears happen and the world falls apart despite your best efforts. And the worst thing that happens is you're still probably in the top, 5% of humans that are on the planet. Like if you look at the way all of the different populations live and like the way that like these 8 billion people, what their resources and access looks like, you're talking about a complete failure and you're still probably 95%. And I remember saying that I did, I wasn't trying to motivate him. I was just like, 
was thinking about this and, and immediately the energy changed. And I was like, dude, you can't fail. The worst thing that's possibly going to happen to you is you're going to be fine. So let's take some chances and let's go for it. And I remember that like, not so much the words changing things, but I remember that feeling and being like, okay, I didn't like the way I felt before the way I feel now that's where I want to live. You know what I mean? Like that's the energy that I want to live in. And, you know, mm -hmm. for some reason it was really impactful for you to say like, cause I'm, I'm picturing you in the brace and I'm picturing you at this, like, just in this time where you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm the type of person that could do anything myself. And now a couple strangers had to get me in this chair and wheel me down here. But it's powerful to look at your arms and be like, do my arms still work? Imagine if your arms didn't work, you know? And I know, I know you're probably not in a space to hear that at that time. I mean, you've had this accident probably what days before, you know? So, but that's, it's a really impactful thing to look at your arms and say, man, I'm so grateful that these work, you know? Oh, absolutely. And then the thing is, is I forgot, you know, I had, I had learned it previous and I've done it before. And so again, going back to this idea of, flipping the switch. You know, the guy that you're with, he flipped the switch, the energy shifted. Something something that you asked him was able to flip that switch. Great questions lead to great discovery. And, and if you go back to the prisoner, he asked me a question. And that mm. question allowed me to discover something. It allowed me to discover something that I wasn't focusing on um, prior. And it was just like that fast, where it's like flip, you know, boom, just like that. And so going into a dark room, you go and flip the switch and boom, the lights turn on and the lights are on. We start to see things that we've never seen before. We start to, you know, get away from bumping into things and, and stumbling over things where we, you know, once we're stumbling. And if you've ever been in, in a house that's, that's old enough to have the breaker break, you know, the lights go off. It, it, it the electricity breaks and boom, you're like, okay, you're back in the dark. But what's interesting here is everybody that I know of who has been in that situation before where the lights have gone out in their house, they don't get down on the ground and have a temper tantrum. They don't like throw their arms up in the air and, and they're like, oh, poor me. And they don't cry and have this, you know, this pity party. They just go down, find the breaker box, open up the breaker, flip the breaker and the lights turn back on. Hmm. And so it's just like, boom, you've got to realize and understand that, yes, we can flip the switch um, whenever we want to, because it can be flipped the other way as well. It could be broken the other way as well. And we just haven't uh, paid attention to it. And so it's just, again, a matter of, okay, do I believe I have a, a, a switch that I can flip? Do I believe I can change my energy immediately? And if so, how do I do that? What's the key in doing that? And, uh, and so, you know, it, it's just, again, going back to what are the most common ways of flipping the switch when it's broken? Yeah. And I want to go into those because you have really cool, like, principles that you've developed on how to actually do this. That's the one thing I like about your story is a lot of, a lot of like developmental speakers will come in and they'll, they'll share a message and it's really inspiring and it's empowering and people remember it. But I always respect the people that can go the extra step and say, okay, here's how to recreate this. There is actually principles here that we can put at work. It's not just a motivating story. There are, there are real principles. But before we get into them, how, how shortly after this experience in the hospital did you find sports again? Because you've always played sports. You've always competed. And, you know, we talked about this in the intro, but you've got, you're highly accomplished in sports 
still in wheelchair athletics and things. So it was it the type of thing, Griff, where you went from being like, oh, I'm enlightened now starting today. This is my new life. I mean, I'm sure there were ups and downs, but how, how quickly thereafter did you find sports and what was what was that like learning how to live your your new life? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I thought my life was over because that was my whole identity was, you know, was sports. And, you know, when I was a little kid, that was my dream was to play football in college. And, um, and, and so when that was taken away from me, I'm like, oh, okay, now what? Now what I want to do? And so, you know, you have to, you have to pick up the pieces and dream new dreams. And, and, and once I exited that son of self-pity and once I was able to refocus and get aligned and, 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 and really see things, you know, how they could be instead of how they are. I'm like, okay, my, my new dream is I'm going to walk again. I'm going to, I'm going to walk again and run again and not be weary and have a full recovery. And, and I told the doctor my dreams and the doctor just looked at me and laughed and he just, he's like, Griff, it's impossible. And he showed a picture of my back and he's like, no, you're not going to walk. You're not going to stand. You're not going to do any of those things. Yeah. And, um, and it just reminded me of, you know, a prior life when I was younger, when I told people I was going to play football in college, like, no, you can't play football in college. You're too short. You're too slow. You're too white. I'm like, okay, I got all three of those. I'm too short, too slow, too white, but it, it didn't matter. And I didn't realize that, uh, you know, at the time, but uh, this word I can't or you can't is poisonous. You know, you can't is, is, is debilitating, but I can't, when I say I can't, it's like, it's poisonous. It's debilitating. It's limiting. And as soon as we say we can't, our mind accepts it immediately. That's so interesting. how do we, it's, it's interesting. The differentiation that if you tell me I can't, that hits differently than I tell me I can't. Mm -hmm. It's true. If I say it, it's a I challenge. If you say it, Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, people will tell you all the time, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And what I've learned, and I didn't know this at the time, but we as individuals, we base other people's possibilities on our limitations or other people base our possibilities on their limitations. And so people are going to tell us all the time, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. I'm like, okay, that's great. But it's, it's not impossible as long as we don't say, I can't. So as soon as we say, I can't, boom. We've accepted it. We've accepted the, the possibility that it can't be done. We're not even the possibility. We, we've just accepted the fact that it can't be done. And we and, and since we've created that and we've come up with the excuses, then, you know, we take ownership of it. And, um, you know, John Asraf said that by the time we're 17 years old, we hear the word I can't 150,000 times. Hmm. And, and so I, I tell my kids all the time, you need to eliminate that word I can't. You need to eliminate that word. I can't. And, you know, one time my son was watching basketball with me and he was 12 years old at the time. And I asked him to go get me a glass of water. And he's like, you have legs. <laughs> and he, cause he knows that I go around the world telling people to eliminate this word. I can't. And he's like, okay, what are you gonna do about it? Dad? He's like, he thinks he has me checkmated. You know, it, it, we had that experience where, you know, how <laughs> girls glance at each other for two seconds, but have a 20 minute conversation. You know, he's like, okay, what are you gonna do about this dad? And, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, you think you have me checkmated, don't you? And, and he's like, okay, dad, what's your next move? And I'm looking at him and he's looking at me at me. And I, and I look at him and, I, and with a scowl on my face, I'm like, you're right. I do have legs. Go get me a glass of water. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. I love it. And so, and, how and so, and so this, this, yeah. And, and so with like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I want to, 
walk again. I, like, I want to walk again. That's my dream. And the doctor's like, mm, and points his finger at my chest and says, Griff, don't get your hopes up. It's impossible. Which is probably and his I love job, the quote right? Like, it's probably his job to help you understand, like, the Nate, not be delusional. Right? I mean, it's probably hard for him to. He can't tell everyone you're going to walk again because, right? Like, it's a tough spot. Oh, absolutely. It's a tough spot. And, 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 and maybe the lawyers have told him, like, listen, you can't, you can't give them any hope because if they don't, then we're getting, being sued. You know, I've gone through all those scenarios. People are like, well, have you gone back and talked to the doctor? I'm like, no, it's a lose-lose situation in my mind. I don't see it being a win. I don't see it being a win-win situation at all. So I'm like, no bother. No bother for me. But what's interesting here is it, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down with this. But, uh, you know, there's four sources of resilience that we can tap into. One of those sources is the, you know, the I can't or the you can't source meaning you can't do this you can't do that and you take that as fuel as a, you know what tell me that i can't and i'll show you that i can and, and and a lot of people a lot of athletes have that you know that's their natural that's their go-to source of resilience is is the you know you can't do this um and um but you know for me i used it as a fuel and I, and I love the quote from Muhammad Ali that said that, you know, impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Hmm. And so, you know, we can we can continue to believe in, in those I can't scenarios or those impossible scenarios, or we can choose to explore the possibilities that are out there. Because, Ty, everything that we do today on a regular basis was once deemed impossible in the past. Yeah. Madame Curie was told there's no more elements to be found. And she found two and a Nobel Prize. The Wright brothers were told you can't control flight. We can get across the United States in a matter of time. Running water and indoor plumbing was a distant memory in the past. But I love the fact that I can flip that tap and get clean, cold water. And so, you know, the, your question to when did you start to, you know, focus on sports again, wheelchair sports, you know, I wanted to walk, I wanted to, I wanted to run, but the, the evidence was stacked up against me. It took me two hours. It took me 30 minutes plus two nurses to get out of my bed. I couldn't lift my legs up. I couldn't move them. I couldn't even stand. And you know, all the evidence was stacked up against me. And so I'm like, okay, well, what can I do until then? And that's when I, when I, when I came across, you know, with sports, Mike Schlapp, a four-time Paralympic athlete here in Salt Lake city. Somebody told me about him. So I called him up. I'm like, Hey, listen, I hear there's wheelchair sports. I want to get involved. And, and so he's like, well, we're playing wheelchair tennis right now. Come on down. There's a tournament uh, in two weeks. You can sign up for that. I still had my body brace on and I'm playing tennis oh, in so my everyday fast. chair. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, I, I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to jump into, I'm going to jump into living life. I'm going to, mm. I'm going to live life to the fullest. In fact, my buddy took me uh, snowmobiling like a month, well, two months after my accident and I still had the body brace on and we're going in the fields and, and he dumps me and I'm like rolling oh in the gosh. field. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, maybe this was not the smartest thing to do, but I'm like, what could go wrong? I'm already paralyzed. And so, you know, I just jumped into life um, immediately. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm uh, that again, like I told you that question just changed my life instantly where I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to focus on what I can do. And so I'm like, ah, oh, tennis? Oh, sure, I'll come down and play tennis. I don't have a wheelchair 
you know, tennis, you know, I don't have a tennis wheelchair, but uh, I'm going to go down there. And so I played in my everyday chair and it was like playing in moon boots and, and uh, <laughs> snow skis, but I played nonetheless. And, and so, you know, Mike Schlappy saw an athlete um, on the other side of the net. He's like, Hey, we've got wheelchair basketball. We've got this, we've got that. We've, and uh, anyways, he just started to expand um, my vision of, of what I could do physically and athletically. And, um, and there's, and I've just come to realize that there's so much more out there besides sports. And there's so much things that, that I can do or we can do that are in, that are in chairs that, uh, you know, if we just open up our eyes, we can do it. And so, you know, I like to believe Ty that you know, I've lived a life and done more things in a chair than most men have done out of one. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's interesting. The, uh, I mean, wheelchair sports, they're not like, from what I understand, they're not like dumbed down version of the sports. They're intense. I remember like, I remember seeing part of like the murder ball documentary and stuff where it's like, I mean, it's, it's highly competitive and you're competing on like a world stage. So I, I love the idea that like, yeah, you went and played tennis that day, but it turned into a state tennis championship, right? Like, yes, you started playing basketball, but it's like, well, you played basketball in the Olympics, like in, in a strange way. And, you know, no disrespect to your previous path, but you've probably gone further on bigger stages with the injury than you may have ever without. Yeah. 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 No question. You know, we can play the what if game all the time, but, uh, you know, in all, in all actuality, there's only like 2.3% of collegiate athletes that go on to the NFL. It doesn't mean that uh, it couldn't happen, but you're absolutely right. I've, I've been on the, the world stage, the Paralympic stage, um, the, the World Cup stage, uh, the national championship stage. The, you know, we, we, we have done all sorts of things. You know, we kick off the all-star, the NBA all-star event on Thursday. You know, the wheelchair players come in and we kick off the, the all-star events. And, and I've been to eight of the all-star um, events and was MVP for the, for the eight. And uh, I've, I've got to experience some pretty cool things, you know, have some Guinness World Records. I've, I've uh, you know, the wheelchair has, has taken me around the whole world. You know, the LDS charities have come to me and asked me to put together a peer-to-peer leadership program that's been recognized by the United Nations. And, you know, we are, we are changing lives around the world, which um, you're absolutely right, wouldn't have happened in, unless I was in a wheelchair. Um, but again, I don't know that I, I, I would still like to think that I could, uh, you know, change the world and, and uh, impact the world with or without my wheelchair, but it definitely has taken me places that, uh, it wouldn't have taken me otherwise. Yeah. And I believe, um, I mean, tell me what you think about this, but I believe that one of the most empowering thoughts is a lot of the reasons that we have trials is so that we can learn to overcome them. So you can help other people. It doesn't always have to be, you know, a crazy physical trial, but even like, you know, uh, you know, me and my wife early on in our marriage, we really had to figure marriage out. We weren't very good at it at first. And we've kind of figured it out for what works for us. You know what I mean? And had I not yeah. had that tumultuous like couple years, I don't know that I would have been able to offer help where I have in the past. And so, I don't know, I've always found it empowering where it's like, hey, this, this trial is not just for you, right? It's yeah, you have it and you're going to become a bigger, better person from it. But imagine the people that you can help. And I mean, I, it's the story of your life, right? Like imagine 
the yeah you've you've been able to think and to navigate your way to a better life but imagine the amount of people that you've helped that maybe didn't have those tools or you've accelerated their living of a better life because you've kind of mastered this trial for yourself you know yeah, I, I appreciate that, and and, and I and I receive that open ar- with you know open arms, and and again, as I mentioned before, you, it's it's like okay, I'm physically paralyzed, but I've learned that most of us are paralyzed from the demons of doubt, fear, and complacency, which is more damning, more damaging than being physically paralyzed, in my opinion, because I've experienced those too. I've experienced those demons of doubt, fear, and complacency. I've I've gone into those dark recesses. I've gone into the sauna of self-pity. And as I exited that sauna and started to dream new dreams, I started to sift through my broken back and shattered dreams and discovered these flecks of gold that helped me get to that point. As you were mentioning, you know, our our trials and our experiences in life, our challenges, our 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 you know, given to us so that we can learn from them and we can help other people learn from them as well. And so I started to sift through my broken back and shattered dreams and discover some flecks of gold that helped me get to this point where I'm like, okay, uh, now let me see if I can, if I can put the, uh, if I can package these into some, uh, some principles or some truths or some, some tools, some processes that can be duplicated, that can be repeatable, that can be predictable. And, uh, and I'm like, okay. So then I started to, to take these flux of gold. I started to define them. I started to refine them. And I started to forge them into gold nuggets where, uh, you know, I believe world record leaders, if they follow these 10 steps or these 10 gold nuggets that, you know, these world leaders can, can have their own records in, yeah. in just, uh, you know, a matter of, you know, duplicating and following those steps. And so, as you mentioned, we do have some processes, we do have some tools, we do have some, some proven predictable things that uh, we've created that, uh, that, that work, that give people the results that they desire. I would love to, uh, I mean, I know it's in your book and I know it's in the keynotes that you give, but I would love to talk about some of the tools you use to defeat doubt, fear, and complacency. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And, and what's interesting here is, you know, success. You know, we've got to define what success is and everyone has a different definition of success. Um, but we've got to be crystal clear on what success is to, to each and every one of us. And sometimes in order to, to figure something out, we can look at what it's not. Yeah. And, and so I always like to ask the question, you know, what's the opposite of success? And everyone I, I run into, the, the, you know, without fail, they're like, well, the opposite of success is failure. And I've never met anyone who has not failed their way to success. And I think failure is part of success. I think failure is essential to learn. In fact, if you're ever learning something new, give yourself permission to fail because failures at first or triumphs at last as long as you just don't quit. So to me, the opposite of success is to quit or to not even try. Like, okay, you know, you're not even taking those steps. And so what are those things that paralyze us from even taking the step? And, and, to, and what are those things that causes us to quit? And so, you know, those two things, you're like, okay, what causes us to quit and what causes us to not even try? And, and so, you know, for me, success is, there's a three-part series to success. Number one, you've got to know what you want. And number two, you've got to finish what you start. And number three, you've got to celebrate the process. We don't celebrate the process that, that much. 
we don't we don't like you know we we're talking about changing that energy and changing the the uh, um, the frequency. You know, we've got to celebrate that. Like boom, holy cow! Absolutely, you just changed your energy. You just changed your 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 perspective. You just changed. Um, the way you see things, let's celebrate that. Absolutely, boom, high five, whatever, you know. It doesn't have to be this big, huge, formal thing all the time, but let's recognize and let's celebrate this. And one way to celebrate uh, um, the process is gratitude. And so you're asking, well, okay, well, how can we overcome some of these demons and, and things? Well, you know, celebrate the process is, you know, if you create this I call it the daily dime, Ty. The daily dime is what helps you stay aligned, stay focused, and stay in that frequency the longest. And, and so the daily dime is five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. And, you know, it helps with the P-squared mindsets. If we had time, time to go into that as well, we, we can. But so, again, gratitude is, is, is the thing that, you know, affects attitude. And we know that attitude determines altitude. And, and so if we want to go high, then we've got to, you know, focus on our attitude. And the way to focus on our attitude is to focus on our gratitude. Celebrate the process. Just celebrate the fact that these wins, let's celebrate these wins, these small wins. And get, again, going back to the first step of success, knowing what you want. Most of us don't know what we want, but the majority of us know what we don't want. And, and so I always ask the question, are you tired of getting what you don't want? Because we get what we focus on. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's funny. As you were talking, I was thinking about thinking about little kids. So one thing like, you know, and I've got little kids in my house, but they're so excitable. Like they always have something they're looking forward to. You know what I mean? And they, you said we don't celebrate the process enough, but like, think of, think of like a little kid at like a skate park. Okay. So they're going to go and they're going to fail pretty much all day. Right. And you're going to ask them how it was. And if they're little enough and excited enough, they're probably going to say it was really fun. Right. <laughs> it's like, but they're going to go and they're going to fail. And, but even before that, they were probably thinking, I get to go to the skate park today. They, they, they have these things that they look forward to. And then when they, when they get a trick down, it's, it's, it's like visceral. They put their hands in the air and say, I did it. I did this goal that I set for myself that may have even been small. Like I jumped three stairs today. Like, or, you know, hey, I hit I hit a ball to the fence. It didn't go over the fence, but I'm getting strong. I feel like kids do that. And I was having this thought where I wonder at what age we stop having things that we're like excited about. Even even little things like, oh, tonight I'm going to play a game with my wife or I'm going to tonight I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this story with my kids or I'm going to throw them in the pool or whatever. Like, I don't know if there's anything there, but it's something to the effect of like having something that you're looking forward to. But that would be knowing what you want. And then celebrating the process, like I'm kind of trying to internalize that. And I just feel like kids do a better job at that than adults do, you know? Oh, 100%. 100%. So again, going back to the analogy of the light switch, you know, the light is on as a little kid. They, they're like, you're like, I hate going to bed. You know, have you ever struggled mm -hmm. trying to get a kid to go to bed? Oh, my. Have I? Like, I, I, I want to just live. Have I ever not struggled trying to get a kid to go to bed would be the question, right? <laughs> there you go and, and it's because 
they are living life to the fullest. They're like, man, I just want to live. I just want to, I just want to experience. I just want to explore. I want to do all these things. And so that's why I, I always bring it back to the very, very first step to success is, do you know what you want? Do you truly know what you want? And so, you know, my book, I am possible desire dream do, you know, we dissect what a, a desire is. We take a look at anatomy of the dream and then we have some steps and some tools to do to, yeah. to experience this, to get back uh, you know, to where you know, we were as this little kid, not necessarily be childish, but be childlike and, and just want to explore. And I always ask them, like, when's the last time you allowed yourself to dream? When's the last time you allowed yourself to open up the floodgates of imagination and to dream new dreams and to dream in, in HD? You know, when's the last time you've slowed down enough to, to start to think about what you want to where you begin to weave that tapestry of dreams that's going to hang on somebody else's social media wall? And again, that going back to comparison, we really don't want to compare. We really want to know what we want. Who cares what everyone else wants? What do I want? What is it that I want? What is it that I want to do, see, and become? And, and so we struggle doing that. In fact, Simon Sinek's always like, you got to know your why. Tony Robbins like, you got to know your why. All these gurus are like, hey, you got to know, you got to know what your why is and what your what is. And, and, but they don't ever teach how to do it. Yeah. And so in this process of discovering these flux of gold, you know, I call it dream weaving. We can do that as, as short as 10 minutes, but a lot of times the first time we do dream weaving with somebody, it takes about 90 minutes to 120 minutes to unpack all that stuff that's that's been shoved down into the recesses of, of our subconscious. And so it's like, okay, how do I begin to live life like a child to where it's just you know, so exciting. And so, and it's like, boom, you wake up and they pop up and like, boom, let's go. Instead of being dragged out of bed and being dragged to the destination, it starts to pull us, you know, and we, and we begin to live life in in color and it's just so beautiful. Yeah. When you're excited about something, people don't have to wake you up, right? Like you, you, you got your alarm, you got your process. And I, I see that in your story where, okay, you have this vision or this goal or this why, to walk again. That would be a win. That would be a success. And that's a, that's an idea that excites you. And so in the meantime, it's okay, well, let me get into this wheelchair sports thing. Let me, let me challenge myself. But the, the crazy thing is you experience a different life because you're, you're running on different stuff. Like if you're out there playing tennis that first day and you don't know anything about wheelchair tennis and then, Hey, like these guys are actually legit and they're good athletes and they're fun. And I like them and I hit a good shot today, you get different chemicals like infused through your body. And so your life actually is different, right? It's not just this like mental juju stuff where you're like, oh no, I'm choosing to look at the bright side. You're actually, you have different things. You're on good drugs, right? You have different things coursing through your veins and it bodies run better on that stuff, right? Like if you're sitting on your couch and not moving and not breathing oxygen and not having hopes and things that you're excited about, life is different for you versus someone that's like, Hey man, I, I smoked one over the net today. It was awesome. I hit 10 into the parking lot, but I hit one over the net. You start to like give yourself the chance. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but I I have felt little successes like that where it's like, Hey, I want to learn how to play the guitar. I want to learn how to surf or I want to do a triathlon. And then you just kind of start and you get this little like chemical reward of like, oh, hey, man, you said you were going to run today and you ran. Just that. Life mm-hmm. starts to look different, you know? Yeah, those dopamine hits. Absolutely. I tell people all the time, I'm, addic- I'm addicted to drugs. 
And they look at me like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, absolutely. The serotonin, the dopamine, uh, those, the, all those drugs that come when you're lifting weights, when you're exercising, when you're in motion. Yeah. When you're in motion, you experience emotion. And, um, and so that's really, again, going back to Nikola Tesla, frequency, vibration, and energy. How do we get into that? And, you know, you're talking about playing wheelchair sports and all this other stuff. You know, I, I, I've taken these, these life lessons, these, these principles, these truths that can be packaged and duplicated at every level. You know, I was, I was sharing my story to a, a bunch of um, elementary kids and the sixth grader comes up to me afterwards. She's like, thank you so much for sh introducing those, those three D's to us. And thank you for sharing your story. This is the happiest I've felt in my life. Wow. And, 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 and so wow. she's excited. And, and so yeah. she's going out there. So that's a sixth grader. And then it works with the teenagers. I would say, you know, I, I discovered this and learned this with some of the harshest critics called teenagers, but adults are just teenagers who haven't figured it out yet. We've grown physically, but you know, mentally and, and uh, spiritually and socially, we're still struggling. And, and so, you know, we're taking these truths that can be duplicated on any level with any sex, with any race. It works everywhere around the world. And it's like, okay, well, let's do this. And so, you know, being in wheelchair sports, I'm like, you know, why not provide an experience for these executives that they've never been able to experience before? And so I'm like, you know what? That's it. And so, you know, I, I have this executive leadership experience that's one of a kind. It doesn't, is it, it, no one is doing it. Um, and what we do is, is we take your leadership team or your whoever it is, and we put them in wheelchairs and that just neutralizes everybody. It puts them on a level that, that they're, mm -hmm. they haven't been used to in, in a long time. They're like, oh my gosh, the CEO is now like, you know, struggling along the lines with uh, their, their, their CFO, they're the managers or whatever it is who they decide to bring in there. And so we get to go out there and we get to play wheelchair sports and then we get to debrief and we get to talk about leadership skills and we get to talk about things that, are, that, that this, this company or, you know, is struggling with. And we get to tackle these problems um, that, they've been, that they've been challenged with and we get to tackle them um, the way you always solve problems. You know, again, the problem isn't the problem because we all have problems. The problem is how we look at those problems, is how we approach those problems, it's how we try to solve those problems. And so again, you know, all we're trying to do here is, is we're trying to take these universal truths, the laws of the universe, the laws of life, and uh, and then provide people an opportunity to, to break down a lot of those barriers, break down a lot of those walls that we've created and, and get back to that childlike um, curiosity. And being willing to say, you know what? Okay, let's step back here. Yeah, maybe maybe the janitor can teach me something about how to, um, you know, run this business. And I know that's that's like a really extreme example there, but you know, we all have something to give, all have something to provide. And um, you know, one of my superpowers is to package some things to to help people um, get up, get out and get going to overcome their mental paralysis, to overcome the doubt, to overcome the fear, to overcome the complacency with some tools and skills that uh, and processes that have been proven and predictable and repeatable. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just so fun to see that light bulb go off on people like, oh, 
I get it. The 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 yeah. switch is flipped. You're a switch flipper. Um, what about uh, you? Started talking about the recipe for resilience. Uh, what are some of those? What are some of those things that you found that can create resilience in other people? Yeah. So, so what's interesting here is a good friend of mine, um, Christian Moore. He's the the founder and owner of Why Try. Um, you know, he's he's established four sources of resilience, and you know, he he calls them relationship resilience. He calls it um, street resilience. He calls it resource resilience. And he calls it rock bottom resilience. Um, which, which are very, very similar to the things that, uh, that I've discovered and, 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 and focus on, you know, the relationship is relationship. You know, the, the Beatles got it right when they said, all we need is love. There yeah. needs to be a little bit more love in this life. And, and so, you know, for me being in the, in the hospital, my support team, um, the, the relationship that I relied upon was 80 miles away and I got to see him once a week. And so, you know, re relationship resilience is the, the fact that you depend on me and I depend on you. We depend on each other. Tim, Tim Hoyt, I don't know if you've ever seen that them yeah, before. You know, that father's, that father-son team. And, yeah, and, and the father, I love what he says. What's that? I think, I think, is it Jeff Hoyt? He just passed away, didn't he, just recently? The dad? Yeah. 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 He has, you know, unfortunately, and, and the son, you know, he, he's gone on to, you know, he, he talk about looking at things differently and you know, focusing right. on things that you can do. He doesn't have arms and legs to move, but now he has a degree in college. He's, he's written a book. He's able to communicate. He's, he's focusing on what he can do. And so, you know, the dad, you know, makes a comment in one of his interviews and, and he says that, no, my boy doesn't get, you know, inspiration for me, I get inf inspiration from him and he inspires me. And that's where I get the energy to go and do these things. And, and so he, he, he taps into that relationship. He taps in to that other person. And so that's one source of resilience. And some people are, 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 you know, heavily, you know, are naturally inclined to one of the four more than others. And so, but it doesn't mean that you can't tap into the other ones. And so a lot of times though, we always lean on the one that we're the most comfortable with and, and that we're the strongest at. And so that's just one source is relationship. The other one is, you know, as Christian calls it street resili resilience, I call it the you can't source. You know, tell me that I can't and I'll show you that I can. Okay. You know, you're tapping into that disrespect. You're tapping into the, you know, the, um, that fuel of, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You're too short. You're too slow. You're too white. Uh, you know, uh, Vince, Vince Vambali, the guy from uh, the Eagles, the, 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 the movie was made out of, you know, oh. he was, he was tapping into, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Pipoli or yeah. Is that what it is? Yes. Man, from, uh, yeah. That, that, that guy right there, you know, he's like, I'm like tapping in, I'm tapping into that. The other one is, is the, uh, the, the, you know, Christian calls it the resource. I call it the P squared mindset. It's the possibility principle. It's the, I don't know what's out there, but I know there's something out there. It's it's like tapping into Madame Curie's idea of oh, there's no more elements. No, there is some. There there are more elements. It's that song that sing, sings inside your soul. You know, you rely upon the the resources that you have physically, that you have intellectually, and you also tap into those resources that 
aren't there yet. And, and, and that's the one that really gets me excited, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I always like to say that, hey, listen, for every minute you doubt it's possible, you give up 60 seconds in finding the solution. Henry Ford told his engineers, I want this, I want this V6 block engine. Like it's, it can't be done. Six months later, it hasn't been done. He's like, no, I want this. And he's like, it's going to happen. And so he, he, he knew that it was possible and he just had to instill the idea into his engineers to, to make it happen. And it's, it's, you know, growing up on a farm or my, my mother's, my grandfather's farm, you know, the, whenever my grandfather put up a new fence, the cows would go over there and test the fence to test to see if it was really truly, you know, that standard or it was, it was truly going to um, be what it was meant to be. And they would see how integral the, the fence was. And so a lot of people will, will test us on our resolve and including ourselves. When we create certain things, mm -hmm. we test, we got to make sure that we are prepared for that opposition to our optimism. And so we even test our own resolve. And so we've got to really be crystal clear on what we want. And so, of course, the last one that Christian mentioned is this, the rock bottom. And, um, and, and so for me, it's, it's, you know, the rock bottom is just you think you have it bad. You think that uh, you're, you've hit the bottom. But I'm telling you right now, every single one of you guys who are listening – Right now, you you realize that once you hit rock bottom, you realize that there's a basement and there's a subfloor and there's like the, you can go further down. There's a water table. And what you do with rock bottom is you <laughs> absolutely you fall down there, and so what you do is you just realize that you know like like the uh, the prisoner said, "Why are you crying, dude?" The rock bottom is why are you crying, dude. You just gotta you just gotta take yeah this sucks absolutely this sucks you gotta take your crap and turn it into a crop you gotta take your mess and turn it into a message you've got to flip the switch and and so again you know I always hear people like oh I can't do anything until I hit rock bottom I'm like no that's not true you can do something right now immediately today instantly hmm yeah it's really interesting that's something I've heard a lot too and I mean if if you can avoid going all the way to rock bottom wouldn't that be better you have to pass wherever you're at on the way back up anyway right. And even, and even when you ascend a couple levels, you're like, all of a sudden you get used to that. You're like, man, this, this is horrible. This so-and-so has this and so-and-so has that. And you always want more and more and more. You start comparing yourself with other people. And so again, and then you're right back. You're right back at, okay, I'm at the bottom again. Well, you've just ascended several levels, but now you look at yourself and you think you're at the bottom again. And so again, we can always, you know, see ourselves at the bottom and, um, and so again, it's like uh, let's flip the switch and let's reframe things. Let's reframe things, uh, uh, and uh, and it takes time. It takes consistently. It takes you know. There's there's a casual way and a careful way. Uh, you know, it, in order to maintain that type of alignment, that type of energy, that type of frequency, that type of um, vibration. You know, you've got to you've got to have a holy habit and righteous routine in place, a process. I call them holy habits and righteous routines. You know, yeah. you've got to have that in place in order to, to get through those dark times, those, those moments that you doubt yourself, those, those moments where you're like, mm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant in continuing down this path. And, um, but you've got to trust the process. And so you've absolutely got to know that the process works. How does, how does, 
doubt, fear, and uncertainty show up for you now? Like, I, you know, you speak about it, you wrote a book about it, and you've probably, I mean, you look at where you were when you had the accident, when you learned this lesson the first time, and you're miles and miles and miles beyond that. But is this something where you still find yourself having to level up your thinking and, you know, I... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when I look at it, it's like, man, you probably never thought you'd maybe compete at the Olympics in wheelchair sports when you started doing it. And you maybe thought you'd never write a book and speak and consult these businesses. So it, it might be easier now, like to some degree, you have to do it. If you're rock bottom, you got, you got to do something right. But now that life may be a little bit more comfortable and you've got some credibility and you've got, you know, you're not in this desperate fight or flight mode. How does it show up now and how do you deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned something that this desperate, this desperate fight or flight mode. And, and what's interesting, again, going back to the 3Ds, which is the foundation of every problem, in my opinion. You know, dream. Do you know what you want? Do you, do you have a crystal clear image of what it is that you want to do, see and become? And then, of course, the desire. Does your desire match up with your dreams? Because how many times have you experienced this tie where you're like, you know, you had this dream of, you know, getting in shape or this dream of being the number one salesman or this dream of doing X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And you wake up the next morning and you're like, maybe tomorrow. You're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so then you're like, okay, what's going on here? And so it, what's, what I've learned here is every time I, I elevate my dreams, I have to elevate my desires to match those dreams. But if I continue, if I just continue to, to, to you know, live down here with these desires that, that I'm currently at and I raise my dreams, it's not going to happen. So I've, so I've got to consistently and constantly raise my desires to match my dreams. And, and so, again, it's going back to how do I develop that desire that's going to match those dreams? How, how can I develop that desire that's desperate, you know, burn the boats? And a lot of people put themselves in that situation so because that's what they're familiar with. They're like, that's why men burn their crap up all the time. Because like, oh, I get this. I'm like, I, I got to start over again because that's what I'm familiar with. That's what I understand. And so they just burn their life up. They destroy their life and they start all over again. Maybe they don't realize it. Some, some people may know they do that. But again, it's going back to, okay, well, I got to get back into that desperation mode. So we don't have to destroy our life in order to get into that desperate desire. We can develop it. You know, we can develop it with the daily dime. And so, you know, again, every time I elevate my dreams, you know, I've I've got to elevate the desires too. Otherwise, there's that conflict. There's that tug of war. There's that, there's that, um, you know, the, the, the pole that's happening, that's going back and forth. And, and so, you know, there's opposition to your optimism every single time. And, 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 and I illustrate that story, you know, in my book, you know, with, with the experience that, uh, you know, I did play two downs in college. I got to experience what it would be like to be on the, the big stage, to be out in the field. I did get to experience that. And I share that. Um, but what I, what a lot of people, um, don't know because I don't share it on stage, but if they read the book, you know, my freshman year when I arrived on campus and showed up to practice, you know, I was not prepared for the pushback. I was not prepared for the opposition. I was not prepared for, you know, those teammates that once encouraged me were now discouraged me. And because of that routes, you know, I, I typically run with Christmas. I stumbled and fell. 
past like typically caught, I, I was dropping and I was starting to again spiral out of control. And I'm like, I was not prepared for that opposition. And so, you know, I quit. I went into the coach's office and, and quit hmm. to make matters worse. When I called my parents up, I told them I was cut. And so, you know, not only did I quit, but I lied. I lied to my parents. I lied to myself. And, you know, and, and again, this idea of when are we going to stop lying? When are we going to stop lying to our friends? When are we going to stop lying to our, our, our family members? When are we going to stop lying to our coworkers? When are we going to stop lying to ourselves and start telling the truth? And, and for me, you know, I, I get embarrassed to think about it you know, to this day. However, it taught me a lesson of a lifetime that helped me pick up the pieces as I, you know, you know, broke my back as I introduced that son of self pity, you know, that lesson that I learned at that moment was, is if we do not have a desperate desire that matches up with our dreams, we're going to allow those demons of doubt, fear, and complacency paralyze us with, with the debilitating darkness hmm. of doubt, fear, and complacency. And it's going to cause us to quit, to quit on our life, to quit on our friends, to quit on our dreams, to quit on each other. And so what we need to do here is we need to learn how to develop that desperate desire. We need to learn how to develop that desire to where it matches our dreams, to where it matches the opposition, that it matches, you know, those challenges that are going to be placed before us. And, and, and part of the way we do that is with the daily dime. And, and that daily dime helps with what I call the P squared mindset. It's the possibility principle. Um, and that's, that's when we start to experience life in color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's five beautiful things that come, you know, that come with a P squared mindset. And, um, and, and so one of those things is the P squared mindset teaches you what hope is. It, it, uh, it, it gives you hope. And, and uh, Angela Duckworth, her book, Grit, I love it. She says that gritty people are hopeful people. And I think she, yeah. she has this upside down because I believe hopeful people are gritty people. And to me, hopeful people are individuals who have the ability to reach out into the future, grab onto their dreams and bring it back to the present in spite of their past, in spite of their setbacks, in spite of their challenges, in spite of their trials. And to dream new dreams, to pick up the pieces and to try again, to keep on going, to take that step, to orchestrate the song that sings inside their soul in order to climb their Everests. And and so again, the P-squared mindset gives you hope. I like that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the other thing that you kind of mentioned in there is just how often you revisit it, right? Like we're meant to run, you know, you say living life in color, you're meant to live life in color. Right. And so a lot of times when you, for me, at least when I experience like the complacency is the one that gets me right. Like fear, complacency and doubt. Like if you were to say, do you doubt yourself? Well, I don't really think so. Are you scared? I wouldn't say so. Are you complacent? That to me, maybe where I'm at in life right now is, and I've been in different places where I'm at the other one. But I think if you have like a time every day where you revisit it, like, how do I feel? What's possible? Am I tapping into it? Even thinking about new goals, you start to feel that life come into you again. Right. And then taking the next step of breaking it down to be like, well, what would it take? You know, one of the ones that's kind of funny 
is I had this to run the St. George Marathon. I know you've won the St. George Marathon, but um, I'm supposed to be running the St. George Marathon on 10-7. Even hear that language, right? I'm supposed to be running it. I haven't trained yet. It's in six weeks. Um, so it's like, <laughs> well, good luck to you. Good luck to you. You can do it. You can still do it. You know, they, you know, the, some of the experts say that you just have to train for half the marathon and then you can push yourself and, yeah. and, and grind through it. And so, you know, if you can get up to 13 miles, you've got this. Okay. Appreciate that. But it's funny because the energy I felt when I set the goal was like, awesome. What I didn't do was put enough movement towards it because now when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I don't got a lot of time. I'm busy. Listen, I'm going to show up and I'm going to like start that day. So it's like, I know I'm going to do it. I might as well minimize the pain, but we all have those things, right? Where it's like, no, I set out to do this and now it's kind of here. I think revisiting Mm -hmm. it and having a process where you talk like even you where you're like no you still got time you can still do it like revisiting it every day and going through like you're working your mental strength out right it's not just going to be there you've got it you've definitely got to work it out yeah now now ty i know we have to go here our, our time is short but i want to ask you like on my wrist right here i i have my battle cries Mm. Yeah, these are my battle cry bracelets. Every great athlete that I know of has a battle cry. Uh, and in every great, you know, I, I consider you a, a great athlete in, in a different arena, you know, great at sales, great at what you do. You are elite. You are, you are up there. Um, and, and so maybe you haven't consciously done this, bef- done this or not, but uh, do you have a battle cry that you lean on to, to help you jumpstart that complacency? Yeah. Mine's, you have yours on your wrist, mine's around my neck. So I have a family motto, a mission statement. We talk about it a lot, but it's, it's this idea that I believe that this is one facet of existence, right? There's a whole, I believe there's a whole eternity on the other side of this life. And so mm-hmm. my family's motto is to travel well, the road back home. And so I always look like, I always look at things and part of traveling well is experiencing like we're here. So I think of this idea of like, you learn a lot about someone by how they travel, you know, like there's some people mm-hmm. that just don't travel well. They get frustrated and stressed out at the airport. They need a million snacks. They need 40 movies. They just need all this. They just don't travel well, you know? And so when I look at like traveling well through life, you, your story is really inspiring. It's like you had this thing happen to you that, that you were not expecting. You're still expected to travel well. So how do you make the most of it? Like we have opportunities to learn. We have opportunities to experience. We have opportunities to develop ourselves. Are we traveling well? Are we making the most of it? So for me, that helps. Like whenever I like, you know, I I have this like desire to, to improve my skills, not just at work, but like in life. And to me, like someday when I meet my maker, they're like, okay, I gave you this amazing priceless journey. How did you travel it? I want to be able to say that, yeah, I, 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 I traveled it well. So for me, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. I love it. And so, so perhaps when, when, when times are like, you're a little complacent or you're like, mm, you're like, Oh wait, how am I traveling? Yeah. How am I traveling? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I think it's important. I have, eight, I have an eight hour layover in an amazing city. Am I just going to lay on the floor and sleep at the airport? Or am I going to get out there and like try the food and see the stuff and make the most of it? You know what I mean? And it makes you happier. Like when you maximize an experience or when you travel well, or when you like meet your potential, again, you feel different. And I learned this from Jesse Itzler, but he says like the one thing that everybody wants is everyone wants to feel good, but you have to do certain things to feel good. You don't just get to feel good. You don't just like Mm -hmm. get to be happy. 
You have to do certain things to be happy. Like it's like your car, it doesn't just run well. You have to maintain it. You got to take care of it. You got to like do stuff, you know? So again, I think, uh, appreciate it, man. Usually people don't flip it and ask me questions. I'm glad I actually had an answer for you today. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate that, dude. I think we're like-minded to listen. Man. You, wouldn't be in the, you wouldn't be in the seat that you are, that you are if, if you didn't have some of these, these gold nuggets already in place. You know, what's interesting, you, you ask people who, you know, everything they touch turns to gold. And you're like, how do you do that? Some of them are like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, Bob Proctor calls them unconscious competence. Mm-hmm. They don't know how they're doing it, but they're just doing it. And so what we've done is we've taken we've taken these these gold you know these flecks of gold turn them into gold nuggets to where you can duplicate that, you know talking about okay well how, what do I do when I'm in this you know having this complacent moment or what am I doing when I'm a little low with my desire, you know I don't have a dream that's really like super super exciting, you know the, you know you know what's your battle cry what's your battle cry that uh, really helps you like snap out of it because you know at the beginning of my process the beginning of this journey of walking. Um, and, and climbing mountains. And by the way, the mountain right behind me, Mount Meloman that we started with, you know, in 19, 20, 2019, sorry, 2019, I took 20 uh, men and boys um, up to the top of the mountain, 9,711 feet. Um, they helped me get to the top. I, 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 I took every step to the top. Wow. Um, it took three hours to get there. It took four hours to get down. But this idea of, okay, you know, what's what's this dream that's that, that you want to do? And so, you know, in this in this process of of, okay, what do I do? How I do this? You know, this battle cry. What's the battle cry that's going to get you to the top? What's the battle cry that's going to get you to get up in the morning to accomplish that dream and desire that you have? You know, October seventh. It's still six weeks away, but again, at the at the beginning, you're like, yes, no, I absolutely want to do this. I absolutely want to do this, but we get sidetracked, we get distracted, we have all these other things, and so it's like, okay, well, what's my battle cry? And so for me, I was just, it's like a reminder to to put me back into, oh, this is what I want to do. And so, you know, when I was first trying to, you know, get to this journey of climbing up a mountain. You know, the therapist was like, okay, walk, Griff. And I'm like, I couldn't walk. There was nothing I could do. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Oh, I thought I could. I thought I could. I thought mm-hmm. I could. Mm. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. I'm meaning this through this process of, you know, sometimes we go through this 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 mind game where we think we can. We know we can. Uh, we thought we could. And we're glad we did. And, and so looking down though, I was doing nothing, but I was moving down the parallel bars, but the therapist was grabbing my leg, lifting up, pulling forward, placing it down. She's grabbing my leg, lifting up, pulling forward, placing it down. She did that the whole way there. By the time we were at the end of the parallel bars, I'm sweating, she's sweating. Sorry, she's glistening. Women don't sweat. And, uh, and I collapsed in my chair and I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't want to walk. Maybe yeah. this is too hard. Yeah. And I'd get back to my, my, my room and my bed. And fortunately I was able to like recalibrate and say, no, I really do. I really do want to do this. And so it's important to have that consistency of being able to recalibrate, being able to, you know, flip the switch, being able to, um, getting, getting back on that, uh, that path that, that yeah. leads to the destination that we want to go to. And so that's so awesome that, uh, you know, you've got that, you've got that thing around your neck where it's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to live life, you know, enjoy the journey. I'm going to um, make sure that wherever I'm going, 
we're going to experience it and enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm still not good at it, but I'm better at it than I used to be. So there we go. You know, that's the, absolutely. yeah, that's the thing. Well, Jeff, thanks so much, man. I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you producing content that helps other people. I'm glad we came across it. I'm sure this won't be the last time we communicate and the last time you get to know this group, but thank you for sharing your story and for, for sharing with us today. Appreciate it, Ty. Thank you so much. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at run the league. What are you waiting for? Run the league, shoot us a DM and let's get going. Hey. <laughs>